friends, we're in Genesis chapter 2, the first three verses. And, you know, I preached in the early service on the Sabbath, and it was interesting to get folks' responses to that because I heard both ends of the spectrum. I heard some people come up to me and say, I've never heard teaching on the Sabbath. I didn't know this applied to us today. This is the first time I've thought about it. And the other end of the spectrum was, you know, I grew up in a house that practiced the Sabbath, and I dreaded it because it was a downer of a day, and it was all about what you couldn't do and nothing about what you could do. And so I think we got our hands full for the next 25 minutes that we spend together in this text understanding how is it that this is a good gift from God to everybody here to enjoy in his name? Let's find that out. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you do this? Would by the power of your Holy Spirit you Take your word and speak to our hearts what is good and true and beautiful about what you say. Let that be the theme in our hearts as we leave here to have heard and felt your presence here and the good gift of the Sabbath in that. Lord, we pray all these things to the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus himself. Amen. Let me hit you guys with a a beautiful quote. It's a whole paragraph. It's from an excellent author, Annie Dillard who writes this in The Writing Life, but she says profoundly, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defends from the chaos and whim. It's a net for catching days. It's a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections at a time. A schedule is a mock-up of reason and order. It's a peace and a haven set in the wreck of time. It's a lifeboat on which you find yourself decades later still living. Our days, our schedules... Our habits, the things we're putting into place, that is our life. That is what we are doing. That is what we are spending our time on. That amounts to what is most important to us. So if I want to know what's most important to somebody, I don't need them to tell me and try to explain. They can simply slide their day planner across the table and I can see for myself What is this whole life bent around? Where are these days being spent? What are the habits? What are the moments? What are the schedules that are in place? That will show me what this life is made of and what is most important to this person. Practicing Sabbath is a rhythm of showing this is what I value. This is what I prioritize. How I live my days is how I live my life. Our text is so simple and so profound. There's not much here really and the action happens in three verbs and let's just briefly look at each of those three. Number one, verse one, it says that God finished creating the world in six days. 
And I love how the message translates this when it says, heaven and earth are finished down to the last detail. Everything is done. Everything is finished. But you know, what's interesting is God didn't have to create in this way. It's not a given that the universe could be a finished thing. It's not a given that that we could be done with creating the universe, that it would be finished. God could have stayed in perpetual creating motion. Creation could be like Apple Inc., where we're just like rolling out new brands, new ideas, new planets, new fauna, new animals year after year. You wake up and God's created something else and you wake up and God's created something else. There's nothing to say that this thing wouldn't be in perpetual motion. But for our sakes, and this is for our sakes, Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath, for our sakes who don't know how to stop doing, God stops doing. He wants to show us this is possible and he wants to show us it's good. So verse one, he finishes. Verse two, God rested. Now that's an interesting word and that word is where is related to the word where we get Sabbath. That word for rest is related to the word Sabbath, but it doesn't really mean rest. Truly a better translation would be to cease or to stop. We know that God is not tired in chapter 2. We we know that he's not exhausted. He's not fatigued. He's finished. He's done doing what he set out to do. And so he ceases, which means we hear over creation in Genesis chapter 2, what we hear over salvation at Good Friday, it is finished. I'm done. Creation is done. It's finished. Salvation is done. It's finished. We get to enjoy it. We get to live in light of it. We get to be creative within it. But as they stand, they are done. God is finished. And then verse three, number three, God blessed the day, set it apart as his day for his purposes. So that's, that's the movement. Finish and rest and bless. Now, I hate to rush us, but when you fast forward from here to the Ten Commandments, which come to us in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, this principle that's laid down here is codified in the fourth commandment, which says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He shows us what it looks like, and then he commands for us to do it. And I want us to apply this commandment today, but before we can do that, we need to ask an important question. Is the Sabbath still binding for Christians today? I mean, there's not a lot of information in the New Testament on what it looks like and how it was practiced. And, and I'm sure as many of you have grown up in homes that didn't really talk about the Sabbath, didn't really practice the Sabbath. And so it's, it's worthwhile asking the question, is this binding? Was this meant for us to keep today? And you won't be surprised that Christians disagree. There are some who think that the Sabbath should be kept and that day is Saturday. Some that say the Sabbath should be kept and that's now Sunday. And some that say, no, that's an Old Testament thing, a law thing, and that doesn't apply to the believer today. Well, I think the question of whether you keep the Sabbath 
really says something about how you view the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, this is just a dense thought for a moment here, but if you think there's radical discontinuity, that those are two really different things, you're not going to be inclined to keep the Sabbath. And if you see continuity between the Testaments and Covenant, you will be inclined to keep the Sabbath, okay? So some of us are approaching our Bibles and saying, hey, these are two totally different things. What God was doing in Israel is totally different than what God is doing in the church. What he did in the first covenant is totally different than what he's doing in the, seven, uh, the, the new covenant. And so I see those as totally separate things. And I'm not going to do anything in the new, new covenant that is expressly, explicitly laid down for a New Testament Christian to do. I'm just not going to do it because I think that's a different thing. That's where you stand today, whether you knew it or not. I'm not going to convince you yet that the Sabbath is for you because you're waiting for that New Testament verse that says, thus thou shalt keep the Sabbath. But if you see continuity in the Testaments, if you see them as related to each other and building upon each other, if you see the seed planted in the Old Testament that then comes to its full flowering bloom in the New Testament, that the Old Testament saints would have looked at what we're practicing and said, man, I, I, I see it and I see what they're doing and it's more beautiful than I thought it would be, but that's the expression of what God has designed for me, then you see that continuity and you are ready to hear from the Old and New Testament, Lord, what would you have me do? So you're going to see that continu continuity between the two. Now, for those who embrace that continuity, I've got four reasons why a New Testament believer is bound to keep the Sabbath, okay? Number one, it is rooted in creation. Look where this thing begins. It is rooted in creation. It's right here, woven into creation, part of the fabric of what it means to live in God's world. The Sabbath is not a Jewish practice. It's a human practice. It's not just for this certain group of people it is for everybody to enjoy and embrace because it's here in creation. Actually, there's a reference to Sabbath keeping before the Ten Commandments. So people already knew what the Sabbath was before it's even written down in a law. They knew and kept the Sabbath. It's a human thing, not a Jewish thing. Number two, of course, it's enshrined in the Ten Commandments. So it's the fourth commandment. Um, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, repeat that commandment. This is the commandment for God's people. Now, if you were going to take the position that the Sabbath doesn't apply today, I don't know if you realize this, but you've taken a really unique position that you subscribe to nine out of the ten commandments. Isn't that an odd position? Like, Every commandment is valid for a New Testament believer except the one right there in the middle, number four. That's the one I'm no longer going to keep. I'm going to keep nine out of ten commandments. That's bizarre. That's, that's different. I'm not sure I can go with you on that. So my family, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, got to go to Yellowstone National Park. Had a fantastic time on a road trip. And, and people had um, said to us, hey, it's crowded, don't go. But then we did a little research, and I think I've told you guys this before, but we found out actually 80% of the people in the park don't go more than 10 minutes from their car. 
So it's kind of like a park and take a picture kind of national park. And, and some people have to do that for good physical reasons. I'm not saying that. A lot of people do that for lazy reasons. If you get 11 minutes past the parking lot, you got the place to yourself. So it's amazing. And we, we enjoyed uh, the national park and it was wonderful. But when we would get back to the car parking lot and see people kind of taking their pictures and jumping in their car, my kids started calling them the 80 percenters. Look at those 80 percenters just getting their picture and rolling on to the next thing. Well, we can do that here. If you see someone who subscribes to the Ten Commandments all but one, that's a 90 percenter. Look at that 90 percenter embracing nine of the Ten Commandments. It's just a, it's something you're going to have to deal with, go home and deal with if you see that discontinuity. So it's rooted in creation. It's enshrined in the Ten Commandments. Number three, it is upheld by Jesus. Jesus had a ton to say about the Sabbath. That's a whole other sermon in itself. He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He reminds us the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He debates with the religious leaders on how to rightly practice the Sabbath. That would be very odd if Jesus knew that in a year or two, there would no longer be a Sabbath for the New Testament believer. He would have spent a ton of energy and time and breath detailing how to practice the Sabbath if he knew there wasn't going to be a Sabbath. I don't buy that. I think Jesus upholds the Sabbath. So Jesus says it. And then number four, it's practiced by the New Testament church. Now, I wish there was a ton more detail on how believers practiced it, what it looked like. We just get these little hints about the New Testament church. And one of them is that the Sabbath day moves from Saturday, the seventh day of the week in Genesis chapter 2, to Sunday, the first day of the week, because that's the day that Jesus rises from the dead. That becomes the New Testament Christian Sabbath of worship. It's Sunday. That would be unthinkable for a Jewish Christian to do and to take the liberty to move the day on the calendar had that not somehow been expressly shown to them by God himself. And so where we don't get the details, we see the practice. The New Testament church says, yep, we have a Sabbath. It is Sunday. It's the first day of the week. It's the day that we worship. So I know I flew through that super fast, but the defense of the Sabbath for today rooted in creation, enshrined in the Ten Commandments, upheld by Jesus, practiced by the church. Now, here's what's interesting. I read a bunch of uh, things, people debating the Sabbath, a bunch from the opposing side to say, hey, what, what are you all saying? And to a person, those who vehemently oppose the Sabbath for Christians today said, no, it's not biblical. No, we are not under the law. No, we, this is not binding for a believer but it's a really, really, really good idea. Okay? So is the Sabbath binding for the Christian today? The hundred percenters would say yes and amen. Let's do it. Let's practice it. And the 90 percenters would say no, definitely not. But yes, you should definitely practice it. Like you should, you should have a Sabbath. That's a wonderful idea. So even if you haven't sorted it out theologically, practically, everybody is saying, this is a good idea. This was a great idea. God had it right the first time. 
let's practice the Sabbath. That's, that's there on both sides. Okay, so that's what it is. That's how it's being defended for the believer today. Let's just kind of close with the question, how do I even begin doing this? What, what do I do on the Sabbath? What does this look like? How do I practice the Sabbath? And you've got this Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, who wrote a book with the excellent title, Sabbath as Resistance. Isn't that a great title? I don't agree with everything this guy says, but I pick him up from time to time to get lines like this. Those who don't practice Sabbath capitulate to the insatiable gods of imperial productivity. You know what I'm saying? This is like the rage against the machine of Old Testament scholarship. Stick it to the man. Because basically his premise is our whole world, our whole culture, our whole economy is screaming for more, bigger, faster, newer, better now. And the Sabbath is a line in the sand that says, stop, just stop. I played that game six days a week. I'm not playing it a seventh. I resist. Stop. Sabbath is resistance to the man. It's resistance. But then there's also this beautiful invitation here. Rather than here's this thing as a burden. Okay, what do I need to add to my plate and add to my calendar? There's an invitation here because we are anxious, restless, hurried, harried people, and we don't know how to slow down and be and dwell in the presence of God. And I'm realizing this more and more about myself, but when I'm in that anxious state, the things I reach for don't help at all. I grab my phone, I grab social media, I watch something, I do something, I buy something, I eat something. And those things I most naturally grab for actually don't help the restlessness that I feel. As someone has said, advertising is literally an attempt to monetize our restlessness. When I am restless, there is a marketer crouching to monetize that moment and to get me to do, subscribe, or buy something, and they are an expert at doing that, and I fall for it almost every single time. Let's be honest, who hasn't tried to buy or entertain their way out of a restlessness in our hearts? I reach for a screen, I reach for a, purpose, a purchase, I reach for food, I try to do something. But, but to grab those things to satisfy restlessness is like grabbing salt water to satisfy thirst. It works for like a minute, and then I find myself in a worse state than when I began. So the invitation is, we weren't made for this. Something's wrong with that. We can't be satisfied in those old ways of doing things because Genesis is telling us we are not designed as human beings to do these things. We need help. And the Sabbath is an invitation for that help. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is something I really struggle to do and to keep well. In fact, when I knew I was preaching on the Sabbath this Sunday, 
we had an emergency family meeting earlier in the week. And I said, kids, doggone it, we're keeping a Sabbath so that I can walk in on Sunday morning and tell other people how to keep a Sabbath. Like, I struggle with this. Things creep in and I let them creep into this day and to take old, over and have their way. So, so I want to hear from some other voices. How is the Sabbath kept in other places? Um, and, and these are some beautiful things. So first of all, we saw in the question number 60, catechism question, that we have this grid for the Sabbath. And we get that from Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. And as we expressed in the confession, the Sabbath is to be set apart as a holy resting all that day, spending the whole time in public and private exercises in God's worship. Now, we put it in the bulletin so that you could take it home and keep it with you. But basically, the Sabbath is set apart to do only things pertaining to worship and rest. Worship and rest. Those are the things that I am doing on the Sabbath. Julie and I are reading a great book, John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. How's that for another title? I know some of you are reading that and have read that. And he says that this has become his family's litmus test for the Sabbath. You take anything that could be a neutral thing or a good thing and say, does it contribute to rest and worship? Does it contribute to us resting and us focusing our minds on the Lord? Now, those are broad categories, and those really look different for a lot of different people. Rest for one person is embroidery. Rest for another person is splunking. Like, However you rest, that's very different. And we're not trying to nail down those categories and get a uniform definition of rest. We're just letting those things sit there so that if something comes along and I say, does this contribute to to rest and worship? And the answer is, well, maybe kind of sort of. There are six days to do that thing. I'm not doing that on this day. This day is set apart for something else. So here's how Comer does it. He's a pastor, and so he works on Sunday, and some of you have jobs that keep you on Sunday. So he has to practice this on Saturday. But for the rest of us, Sunday is framed, Sunday as the Sabbath is framed starting on Saturday evening and going till Sunday evening, okay? Isn't it interesting that that's how creation is framed, the creation days are framed. It it seems odd that God says, and there was evening and morning the next day, but he's telling us, hey, you kind of enter that day starting with the front door, which is the evening before, and that's what brings you into the next day. And then by the evening of Sunday, I'm gearing up for work the next day. And so it's really framed from like, you know, sundown to sundown, Saturday to Sunday. That's how it spans, and that's what it looks like. So that means on Saturday, I finish homework and chores and errands and shopping and I turn off my phone and I put it away. Audible gasps, 24 hours without a phone. Can you imagine? Because the Sabbath is not a day off. It's not a day to finish up chores and get things done and empty my email box. Day offs are wonderful. We need them to do things we can't do during the work week. Sabbath is something different, and so I'm entering into this state of rest. And then their family kicks it off by eating well. I think that's a great 
Way to start. Saturday night, we're going to eat well. We've already done the shopping. We have good food in the house. We're going to feast because the Sabbath is something we look forward to, not something that we dread that's coming. And so we kick it off by eating well in God's presence with family, with friends, however we're going to do that when we feast. And then Sunday is a day to be spent here in corporate, unhurried worship with each other in fellowship with other believers. If we have people in our homes, we go to their homes, we spend time with them. Carving out time on this day that I'll have personal, silent reflection with the Lord. I'll open my Bible. I haven't turned anything on. I can be and dwell before the Lord. I'm going to carve out time to do that. And then when I get to Sunday evening, I slowly re-enter the world. I turn my phone back on. I prepare myself for the work day, the school day, the next day. That, that's how a 24-hour Sabbath can begin to look like. Now, it was fun talking to many of you during the week and saying, how do you all practice the Sabbath? And I heard so many wonderful ideas. I wish I could share them all. But believers in different ages and stages have very different practices of the Sabbath And it's wonderful to learn from each other. How do you practice the Sabbath? Or what are you going to start doing to practice the Sabbath? And learn from each other some of those rhythms. I think it's so beautiful and helpful. I think you'll begin to notice what Julie and I are noticing. If you want to practice a Sabbath, that doesn't mean I can take my seven days of crazy and cram them into six days And then come hurtling into the Sabbath evening and try to hurry up and rest, right? That's not going to happen. If I begin to practice a Sabbath, that's going to have a domino effect. It's going to touch every other day of the week. If I'm the kind of person that stops and pauses before the Lord on Sunday... I'm also the kind of person that is prioritizing the other six days of the week and thinking before the Lord, is this valuable for me and for my family? And does this contribute to rest and worship before the Lord? Practicing the Sabbath actually changes the entire week. Am I living a life of worship and rest? So I want us to hear this as an invitation. I want to hear this as an invitation to the church to say, Will I repent of my frenzy, my hurried and my harriedness? Will I repent of that? Will I embrace my limits? God made me so finite. I only have so many hours in a day and so many days in a week. And I just can't be and do everything for everyone and meet every expectation that's on me. I embrace my limits. I quiet distraction. And I, in fits and starts, by practices that I put in place, enter God's presence through rest and worship on his Sabbath. What an enjoyment that will be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, make us a people of Sabbath keeping. That this isn't a burden to us. This is not a heavy yoke. This is not a demand that makes us cram more things into six days so that we can try to white-knuckle a Sabbath on the seventh. But I pray that this becomes like air and clean water to our lives that refreshes us, that reorients us, that allows us to open up our hands and receive a good gift from you, even if we think we don't need it or want it. 
and make us a people that rest and worship on the Sabbath. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.